have a really good attitude about that. Um, but it was, a, it was a huge blessing to have him with us during that season. So it, it blessed our church. There's no other way around it. So, uh, yeah, and I, and I still have bitterness in my heart. Yeah, what are you going to do? But, uh, yeah, so that was basically his last time with us as church family. So now I'll have to pay for him to come back, I'm sure. But we'll uh, tell you what, we'll, uh, we're going to take a love offering for him at the end of the service just to say thank you. Uh, he has, um, again, if you don't know who Jake is, he's got a, uh, a national worldwide ministry. He travels all over the world and does what he does here. Usually it's in um, stadiums. So his, us- his, his typical audience is of, you know, two to 10,000. So that's, that's what he's usually up to. So it was cool to have him. All right. Um, welcome. And there's a, there's a, like you said, I can tell there's a lot going on in our church. So we, 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 are, we have constructed a playground. We're in the big middle of it. But it's like any erector set. There were pieces missing. So that's why it didn't completely go up. And, you know, well, we dug all kinds of holes. We didn't find any bodies that, that I had uh, buried when I was the youth pastor. So, but um, so far, so good. And we would love for you guys to come out and help this coming Saturday. You might get a T-shirt. So, but we'd love to have you come out. And you can still give to, towards it as well. There's like things that we can t- continue to get, like plants and benches and things. So if you want to continue to be a part of it, you may. Um, all right, what else is going on that I need to talk about? Oh, um, I'll get there in a second. All right, so right now we're in a series. It's the first day of the series on our Route 66, which is basically, it's a 66-week series. And we are going to go, there's, there's 66 books in the Bible, and we're going to do each one each Sunday, which is a, it's a, it's a huge task. And so uh, that, that's what we're doing. And if you are here, you actually physically have to be here in order to get credit. But if you come to all 66 messages, you will be in the running for a free trip to Israel. So right now your attendance is perfect. Don't mess it up. But you have to turn in the connection card. That is the way that we are going to track your attendance. So uh, it's going to probably be, I don't know, about two years away, but uh, you might get to go to Israel with us. Wouldn't that be fun? So, all right. Um, All right, so today's Genesis. Today is the very first day. It's the beginning of everything. And first service, I did Genesis 1 through 11. And today, or second service, I'm going to do 12 through the rest of the book. So uh, we are going to start off with Abraham. So you guys know the story, right? You know the creation story? All right, so in the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth. Okay, so there's that story. And how many days of creation? There's six days of creation. On the seventh day, he rested. Now, um, all right, let me hop off the pulpit for a second. Okay, I'm off the pulpit. This is my opinion on the days of creation. I, there, there's different views. There's different ways that you can actually interpret the scriptures. And this is, might be controversial. You might think this is heresy. I don't know. But um, the way that I interpret the six days, I don't interpret them as a literal six days. <gasps> I know. And if you do, that's okay. 
we can have differences of opinions in this. But the way that I see it, I just, uh, for me personally, it's hard for me to get my head around my, maybe this is my problem, right? My intellectual mind around the idea that the planet of, or the creation is 6,000 years old. Uh, I, just, I just can't do, I can't go there, but that's just me. So I believe that, um, I believe I'm what they call old earth. There's two ways to look at it. There's an old earth, old earth approach and a, new, a young earth approach. And so I'm old earth. And if you're new earth, that's cool. You can be that way and we can, we can still love Jesus together. Does that make sense? Yeah. All right. So basically the old earth position is that each year could be a million years. Does that make sense? It's, it's, in, it, in my opinion, it wasn't meant to be taken literally because Genesis 1 is a poem. It actually has a literary, poetic structure. And if you are interested, I will show you on Wednesday. So uh, if you want to continue this discussion on how old the planet is, creation, evolution, things that like maybe messed you up during college, uh, we will teach that. But today I need to preach. So I'm just leaving it there. Does that make sense? So if you want to come and hang out with me, but you've got to mark the boxes. If, you're not going to, if no one's going to come, I'm not going to do it. So but there's a little box on there if you want to know more about it, and then we'll just, we'll just do a little class. It basically, it would be a conversation. And there are no dumb questions, and there are no bad opinions. This is what our church calls the negotiable stuff because it has absolutely nothing to do with the deity of Christ or the goodness of God. Okay? All right. So that's what happens in Genesis we know about Adam and Eve. We know that, that women messed everything up. Um, I know. Yeah. So if you're here first, <laughs> okay, there's a couple of opinions on that too, by the way, because, all right, uh, so the woman saw the apple. It's not an apple. It's a fruit. We don't know what it was. So the woman saw the apple and she saw that it was good for wisdom. And so I did a message a while back on this that actually, uh, you actually get to see the heart of women because women are after wisdom and men are after power. There's an interesting little insight into that. But we know about the fall, all right? So, you know, I, I do believe that there was an Adam and Eve. I do believe that that was literal. Hmm? And um, I believe that there was a fall. And, uh, and then you know that whole story. You know the snake in the garden. You know, they were naked and, and then they got shame and all that kind of stuff. And then they had kids. I, I know, you thought it was complicated, but then they had kids, right? They had Cain and Abel. Cain was the older brother, and he killed his younger brother. How many people have brothers? And there's like, you know, there's that tension, right? Especially when there's two boys. There's always this older brother, younger brother problem. And we see the older brother slay the younger brother. And then what we're going to be, the reason why I'm bringing that up is because we will see a consistent theme of tension between the older brother and the younger brother in the Bible. Why is that? I'm not quite sure, but it is there. Like it is, it is alarmingly 
visible when we begin to get into the books, especially in the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, you are going to see this tension between the older brother and the younger brother. Does it go back to Cain and Abel? It just might, because there, because Abel's blood was spilt and he was, his blood was crying out to God from the earth, asking for justice. So let's let that roll around in your head while when we get into the rest of the text. All right. Then we know, and then we knew like what, what happens next. So Cain and Abel, uh, and then like the earth is filled with wickedness, and there's all kinds of really weird cryptic stuff in Genesis two and three. And then we have what Noah, right? They get in the boat, saves creation, saves the animals. You know, the flood comes, all that kind of stuff happens. Uh, then there's the Tower of Babel. Um, well, I meant there's a teller of Babel and then Cain and whatever. Anyway, Noah gets off the boat, right? He's the only one that talks to God until Abraham. As far as the text tells us, he's the only one that has a conversation with God, that has a relationship with God. We're not quite sure about Shem, Definitely not Ham. And uh, Yepha, we're not sure about that one either. There's no, there's no record of it. So either it's not important or it didn't happen. But what is important is the next conversation that God has with mankind, and that is through Abraham. And I don't know, I did a little bit of math. It's about a thousand years from Noah to Abraham. That's a big span of time, isn't it? So why was God silent during that whole time? We're not quite sure. But what is very interesting is why Abraham and this relationship that begins and specifically what we call the covenant. And so when we're looking at Genesis and we're going to get into Exodus and then the fun books, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, um, we're going to see a covenantal relationship begin to form. What is a covenant? It is a contract. And so what Adam had a, had a covenant with God. Noah had a covenant with God. There was an Edenic covenant with God. But Abraham's covenant was completely different in that it was almost, un, I, don't, I guess unnatural is probably the best way to put it. It's like, could you imagine having a contract with God, like a written contract with God, like the Magna Carta, where you're just like going to sign a document? Like, how many, okay, you're married, right? Some people are married in the room, and you actually have a marriage license. When was the last time you referred to your marriage license when you got into an argument with your wife? <laughs> oh, it's all the time, right? Like, how much validity does that contract have while you're in your relationship with your spouse? I mean, the way that divorce rates go, not a whole lot nowadays, right? The paper doesn't really mean anything. But uh, we say that we have a covenantal relationship in marriage, which is true. But what are we really after in marriage? We are after the, the, the closeness of a relationship. The idea and the abstract concept of becoming one flesh, of being united, of being close. Same is true with God. So we, ha- 
So God has to, because we've messed everything up so bad, God has to do this written contract with us. But what he truly desires is that we are his children. So the covenant is like, like the stopgap. All right, so um, again, a good thousand years of no written knowledge of God and man of a relationship until this man, Abram. His, his real name was Abram, and he was, for, he was from the city of Ur. He was a Chaldean, uh, the first Babylon, the very first city, well, one of the first civilizations that ever developed. These people were absolutely amazing. They, it's probably a good chance they created writing. Interesting note. So they began to, they began, we have, we have texts, we have hordes of texts of, of the written language and cuneiform tablets. And it was a high culture too. It's the first time the planet had ever seen art expressed on such a level. And Abraham came from that culture. Uh, we don't know if Abraham wrote, but I'd like to think that he did. And we know that he was a businessman. We know that he had lots of money. We know that he had lots of sheep. He had lots of gold and silver. He had a big family. We know these things about Abraham. So we don't, again, the Bible doesn't tell us if he wrote, but I want to think that he did. I want to think that maybe he took the stories of Adam and Eve and Noah and he wrote them down while he was in the ancient city of Ur, which is in our modern day Iraq. All right? Now, God called him. And here's the interesting thing about Abram because when God talks to Abram, it's as if he's having a normal conversation with him. Like, there's nothing weird. When I say weird, there's like no, like Abraham isn't like uh, going into a trance or Abraham isn't like squinching his eyes really hard to pray and talk to God. It's like a really interesting natural conversation that, that Abraham has with God. It's as if he's just in the room talking to him. It's very interesting and we don't know why. But, I mean... That's why I think our prayer life just needs to be a natural conversation with God. That's what Abraham modeled to it, and it was credited to him as righteousness. It actually got God's attention. It says, all right, there's something about this Abram guy, and we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna give him a deal, basically. All right, so he starts off there with that little green dot, and then the yellow line is where he goes up into Haran, which is uh, basically modern-day Syria, and God calls him to Israel. The modern-day Israel, it's also called the Levant, uh, Palestine. There's a million different names that it has. And the reason why you see this little pyramid here is because everything in here is desert. Okay? So nobody lives here. This is the Tigris and the Euphrates. Everybody lives here. This is where, this is where civilization started. And in order to get from there over to Egypt or there over, you know, any or to Israel, you have to go around the desert. Does that make sense? You can't go through the desert. You'll die. And they did. There's a, there was just no way of crossing this. And so Israel is a natural land bridge between two of the major civilizations, the civilization of the Babylonians or the Sumerians and Egypt. And so it's like, it's like the highway. 
That's why there's lots of different cultures in Israel. That's why, that's why people are killing each other to this day for that piece of property. All right, does that make sense? It's a highly valued piece of property. And God wants to give it to Abraham. Now, the interesting, thing, the interesting thing about the Bible, what makes the Bible fascinating to me, is that Abraham, he's an outsider. If I was writing the Bible, let's say I wanted to write the Bible and I wanted to establish um, my legitimacy as owning the property, how would you do that? I would say, I'm a native. I was born in this land, and my, my father was born in this land, and my grandfather was born in this land. In fact, we've always been here. So therefore, the land is ours. Not so with this story. That's what makes it interesting. That's what almost makes it real. It's because Abram is an outsider. He doesn't belong there, but God's going to give it to him anyway. So it's a very real story, right? It's one of the opinions that we don't believe that it's fake. All right. And so he heads down and uh, from a sort of normal conversation with God, and we begin to see Abram's character evolve. We begin to see his family dynamics evolve. We begin to know more about who he is. Um, as we begin to learn more about his family, you thought that your family was jacked up. <laughs> Just wait. Just wait until you see how jacked up his family is. Regardless, Abram hears from God, and God changes his name from Abram to Abraham, and he offers Abraham a deal. He says, I'm going to give you this land, and I'm going to give, it, give you to its descendants. In fact, Abraham, let's go outside. Let's take a look at the stars. Those are going to be your descendants. Let's look at the sand on the beach. How many, how many sand pebbles are there? Well, that's going to be the amount of your descendants, and they are going to own this land. We are going to give it to you, and here's the deal. You just have to be in covenant with me. You have to follow my rules, all right? And Abraham says, sure, why not? Let's make a deal. Let's do it. And he does. But this is what it looks like. So if you want to get your Bibles out, this is not going to be up on the screen. And I don't believe I'm going to put the scriptures up on the screen because I want you to bring your Bibles. And I want you to write into the columns. So don't bring like your family Bible that, that's all pretty and white and has the gold lettering. Don't bring that one to church because you can't write in that Bible. You have to go get a cheap Bible so that you can write in it. All right, we'll give you one if you don't have one. This is what Abraham's covenant looks like. Uh, Genesis chapter 15. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Don't be afraid, Abraham. Abram, I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abram said, O sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? And the one who inherits my estate, uh, Eliezer of Damascus. Uh, and Abram said, you have given me no children, so your servant in my household will be my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him. This man will not be your heir, but a son 
coming from your own body will be your heir. He took him outside and said, look up into the heavens, count the stars, indeed, if you can count them. Then he said to him, so shall your offering be. Abraham believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. All right. So that's, that's one covenant. All right. Let's skip on down. I'll right, we'll start at seven. He also said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land and to take possession of it. But Abram said, O sovereign Lord, how can, I, how can I know that I will gain possession of it? So God says, I'm going to make you a deal. I'm going to give you the land. Uh, Abram, being a good businessman, says, prove it. Show me. Who's the show me state? Missouri. Yeah, it's kind of like that. Show me. So he's ever the businessman. So the Lord said to him, bring me a heifer, a goat, a ram, each three years old, along with the dove and a pigeon. Abram brought these all out to him. He cut it into two pieces, arranged the halves opposite side. The, the birds, however, he did not cut in half. This is really gross, huh? Um, the birds of the prey came down on the carcasses, but Abram drove them away. Uh, as the sun set, this is what we need to get. Abram fell into a deep sleep, and a thick, dreadful darkness came over him. Then the Lord said to him, Know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in, their, uh, in, a, in a country not their own, and they will be enslaved and mistreated for 400 years, but I will punish the nation that they serve. Okay, that's Egypt. Okay, so the conversation was a very natural one with, with Abraham. It's like, we're talk, it's like I'm talking to you is the way that Abraham's talking to God. And then Abraham does something that was probably kind of dumb. He, and you shouldn't do this either. He says, prove it to me. And God rocked his world. He put him into this deep, dark sleep where this dread fell over him. And he figured it out. Okay, I get it now. God means business. And then he gets this whole prophetic picture of him ending, you know, his descendants ending up in Egypt as slaves eventually to be freed, and it's all part of God's plan. And then he goes on to say, I'll, I'll just paraphrase it. It's really gross. So there's like carcasses. They cut these animals in half. And then he says, all right, you're going to walk between these dead animals. And so that's Abraham. Basically, that's Abraham signing the contract. But then... I don't know, it says a pot, a, ca a, a, a cauldron, a flaming pot, basically a big giant fireball, which represents God, goes in between them too, and he signs the contract. God's saying, I'm in this too. I'm all in. And so they're in it. Uh, a chapter later, uh, God signs another covenant with Abraham. It's very similar, but it's very particular about the nation of Israel, that he's going to build a nation up out of his, out of his, uh, out of his lineage, and that kings will come out from Abraham's lineage. And this covenant is signified by a very physical representation on the men. It's where we get circumcision. I don't... I, that this... I would like, God, can we figure out something else? <laughs> why, why that? Do you have a, 
How about if you cut my earlobe off instead? I mean, let's this, why, why that? I, we don't, I don't know why that, but it's, hor- it's horrible. I mean, because Abraham, he circumcises himself and all the other guys <laughs> that, that, that live with him. It's like, oh my gosh. And it's a, it's a, it's a physical sign of a covenant between God's people and, well, in that time, the Canaanites or, you know, maybe someday the, the Egyptians or the Babylonians. It is something that sets the people apart from everybody else in the land. And God's purpose is to say, all right, these are what God's children look like, and this is what everybody else looks like. And it starts with this covenant, and it starts with this physical, uh, oh, geez, it is just embarrassing, um, this cutting, right? It, there's, there's this cutting that takes place, just like the animals that get cut in half. And it's just, it's really bizarre. And that one little symbol is going to eventually branch out into an entire book, books of laws that will, that will separate Abram's people from everybody else. Because right now, the way that Abraham acts, his character, his traits, his customs, he is like everybody else in the world. And I'll prove it to you. Um, we know that uh, in the law, in the Torah, um, it's a big no-no to marry your sister. You can't do that. It's like, old, it, you would think that it's common sense, but for some reason, God's got to write it down because people don't get it, like they're marrying their sister. Guess who married his sister? This guy. Abraham marries his sister. It was his half-sister, so he says, but he does it. So did I, what? Did I mess up? So, okay. So, but this is like, you would think you shouldn't do that, right? But he does, all right? But as we can see, as they begin to develop their community, they begin to develop your culture, that's a big no-no. You just don't do it. I bet you money that Abraham probably ate pork chops too, all right? (laughs) And he probably had clams and shellfish. He probably ate all kinds of tasty things until God told him he couldn't do it. Or until God told Moses he couldn't do it. But you just need to see him as, as your ever, you know, it's like your, you know, your pagan friends. Do whatever they want to do. But God eventually is going to say, you can't do whatever you want to do. You have to do things my way. All right. So, what else? Um, in the law that we will get from Moses, it will also say... Um, and then it's definitely echoed by Jesus, and we see it in Adam and Eve's covenant. Uh, you're only supposed to be married to one person. How many wives does Abraham have? Six. <laughs> Almost. Four. Well, he's got two wives. And then he's got two concubines. I don't know what that means. Um, so God says, I'm, you know what, you're going to... You're gonna, you're, all your descendants are going to populate the earth. We're going to do it through your wife, Sarah, who's, also, who's another Chaldean, by the way. And, and she's incredibly good looking, so it says. So she's like this knockout. Um, and God's like, 
or, and Abraham's like, that's just not going to happen. She's too old. And so what, what do we do when God doesn't come through for us? You ever, has God ever told you something and it didn't come true? And the reason why it didn't come true is because you're impatient. Yep. yep. See, everybody, see, people know from experience about this one. God tells you something. God gives you a vision. God gives you a purpose. But you have a Southern California lifestyle. You have a fast food mentality. And you want it, and you want it now, and it has to be perfect. And that doesn't work out. And Abraham has the same problem. Because he says, you know what, God, you're not moving fast enough. Sarah's not pregnant. And so Sarah comes up with this bright idea that she eventually regrets later about having their, her maidservant, her handservant, uh, to step in and have the baby. And they create an Ishmael. And they create a big problem, right? Who's firstborn? Abraham, uh, Ishmael or Isaac? Ishmael's the firstborn. Interesting, huh? So this is the very first time we see this tension between a younger brother and an older brother. And we know the rest of the story. Sarah does get pregnant, and she has Isaac. And that is the promise. I don't know why Ishmael doesn't get the same blessing. He gets a quasi-blessing. But it was, the blessing was supposed to come through Sarah. Actually, Abraham actually has nothing to do with it, because if he did... Ishmael would have been the man, but he's not. It's the second born that becomes the important one. Interesting. Through Sarah. All right. What time is it? All right. I got to wrap it up, huh? So much good stuff. I'm supposed to do the rest of Genesis right now in five minutes. Good luck. All right. Yeah, this is my bright idea. Let's do, a, let's do a book in one Sunday. All right. So, Abraham has a bunch of other kids through another wife. They're not in line with the blessing either. And then Isaac comes around. And Isaac is kind of really non-eventful. There marries Rebecca. Basically, his claim to fame is, his, is that God told his dad to kill him. So that's Isaac's claim to fame. And that would jack you up. You have to go to counseling for that. You know, to have your dad try and kill you. And then your, your dad tells you that God told him to do so. So, so we don't see much of Isaac after that. Like, there's just not a, there's nothing really cool. There's no really cool stories that happen with Isaac. And, and then until we get to Jacob... And then we've got, we have a lot of really beautiful, cool stories with Jacob. And, and then from Jacob, we know that he wrestles with God, and he has a brother. He has a twin brother. Who came out first? Who's the firstborn? Esau is. So do you see that theme get played out again? So, and Jacob actually rips his brother off. He steals Guess where he gets lying, cheating, and stealing from? From mama and dad. Because Abraham was also a notorious liar. Because his wife was hot. And he didn't want people to kill him. It's true. It happened a couple of times. 
And so we see a, a pattern of behavior. We see a pattern of dysfunction. We see lying, cheating, stealing, bargaining with God, all kinds of shenanigans going on. And Jacob is the epitome of a trickster. And we see him tricking. We see him wrestling with God. We see him uh, putting hair on his body. We see him deceiving. And for whatever reason, I don't get it because I'm going to side with Esau on this one. But for whatever reason, God chooses to bless Jacob and not the older brother Esau. And we see God continue to push forward and to reestablish and to rewrite his covenant with Jacob, and specifically Jacob's sons. Uh, let's see, Jacob has, Jacob has four wives. I think I said Abraham had four. He had two, but then he had others. Okay, but we know, but the main point is that Jacob has four wives, and all of them produce the 12 tribes of Israel. Through through Leah and Rebecca, um, Rachel, sorry, through, through Leah and Rachel and their, and their maidservants. And so we have a hierarchy of uh, tribes. Does the oldest brother in the 12 tribes, does he become the man? No, he doesn't. It actually gets bumped down to Judah. The third. And Judah is the one that inherits the royal blessing. And the last one, now the second to the last one, Joseph, is the one that inherits the financial blessing. All right, I've got to wrap it up. I really don't have a good ending. I'm so sorry. This is the way it is. Let's just pray. Hmm? All right. Um, All right, what's the big deal about the 12, what's the big deal about Abraham? What's the big deal about the 12 tribes? It is because it is God's vehicle. It's God's chosen vehicle to redeem mankind. It started off with Adam and Eve. It started off with Seth, was second. It started off with the ark. Now we have a nation, now we have a people that God's going to redeem his people from, and eventually we'll get Jesus. Jesus will move us from a covenantal relationship into a personal relationship. The covenantal relationship, the one that God created with Abraham, it was not natural but it was the best God can do to save the situation, to save us from our own free will of messing everything up. He had to write stuff down. Do you know that we actually have a moral compass inside of us? Whether we have this book or not, God is so interesting to me. Like one of the guys that uh, Abraham cheats and lies to is Abimelech, who is a pagan king. Abraham tells Abimelech, uh, my hot, that, that woman that's hot next to me, that's my sister. It's not my wife, because he's afraid. And Abimelech learned that Abraham lied to him. And you know what he does? 
he repents and he knows that it is wrong to sleep with somebody else's wife. So God institutes from day one a moral code that everybody has. But when he institutes a covenant relationship with his word and with his people, then it means it's something different. So there's a lot going on here that we just really need to get inside of us. God doesn't want to just have a piece of paper contract, like the book. Like, I mean, do you see it as a relationship or do you see it as, okay, this is my rule book? You can start off with it as your rule book, but he wants to break you out of a covenantal relationship into a true relationship, a one of family. He'll use both. He'll use whatever he can. He will, well, God, you didn't tell me that it wasn't right to sleep with somebody else's spouse. God's like, really? It's common sense. Don't, don't murder your brother. It's common sense. But I tell you what, I'll write it down for you anyway. Does that mean? You have, do you have kids? Do you have kids? And they... It's like the little liars. It's like they, 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 they fake it. They're like, oh, I lied. And they, they, they think that they, oh, I didn't know I wasn't supposed to lie. They do. <laughs> but parents have to make it clear, right? Because if we don't, eventually that moral compass will just come off. And then begin to believe your own lies. You can deceive yourselves. And so that's why God is so cool. He gives us direction. He gives us a compass when we get off. He gets us into a covenantal relationship. And we'll see more of that. All right, I, need to, I can't have the band come up because he ran off on me. Um, <laughs> if I could have the ushers come forward, and we're going to take the offering. And you do not want me singing or leading in any way for him because that would be really bad. All right, Theo, would you stand with me? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that even in humanity's worst, at our worst, when there was nobody righteous but Noah, you decided to save us. At humanity's worst, when there was only four people in Sodom were saving, you decided to save them. God, at our worst, you broke into our time and our history to save us because you're good. Even when mankind has turned to its most wicked schemes and has done the most horrific things, you are still good. And you have always been true to your side of the deal. You have always been true to your side of the covenant and where we have failed and when we have forgotten about the covenants and the pledges that we've made to you, you have always been faithful on your side. So God, I pray right now that you will just forgive, that you will forgive us, that, that you will just cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And when we, have, when we have broken your laws and we have disgraced your name, God, you still love us and you still have gone all out for us. I pray that you would just continue to do so in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen.
All right, pass the baskets. And as it's going around, maybe, let's see. Can I share more? Yeah. All right, let's see what else can we talk about. Um, <laughs> all right, it ends with Joseph. Genesis ends with Joseph. And if you haven't read the story of Joseph, it's incredible. The, actually, the, the narration changes a little bit. It actually reads like a real story. All the other stories are kind of a little chopped up, and they're, you know, they're kind of, it's kind of hard to follow. There's a lot of repetition. There's a lot of redundancy, um, redundancy, department of redundancy in the Bible. It might drive you crazy if you have ADD. But uh, the story of Joseph is a consistent one. And we see him, you know, get, he, he, he gets beat up by his, what, his older brothers. So his older brothers send him off. And he becomes the hope of the nation. He becomes the viceroy of all Egypt. And it is from that place that Israel is not only saved, Israel is, becomes rich and it becomes wealthy. And that was God's promise to Abraham. And we get to see it today. All right, that's it, folks.